rose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there came a great calm. Mm -hmm. Then he rose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there came a great calm. Words taken from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Heaven is a faithless place. Heaven is also a hopeless place. And the reason is because there's no practicing of the virtue of faith by the saints above. For they see the Lord literally face to face. The holy ones in heaven no longer believe in things unseen. Rather, they know the God they see immediately in what is called the beatific vision. And yes, heaven is hopeless. For the saints do not hope to gain the reward of eternal life. Rather, they possess the gifts that they were promised. In fact, most every virtue, most every good habit that we acquired on earth will no longer be exercised or practiced in heaven. Courage, for example, helped the saints overcome difficult, even fearful situations while they lived here below, but there are no objects of fear nor difficulties in heaven, so why exercise fortitude? Temperance, which is a virtue that seeks to control our appetites for food and drink, as well as being continent in other bodily matters, will not be exercised in eternal life. And why not, Father? Because the wedding feast of heaven is not about eating and drinking. There's no dieting above for paradise. That paradise which awaits us will have no earthly food nor earthly drink. Also in heaven, men and women are not married to each other, but they're married to Almighty God. And since no one can ever die, there is no, no need to bring forth new life. So why practice temperance or continence? You see, most every virtue we acquired on earth will not be exercised in heaven. Rather, these virtues will simply be like brilliant jewels, which will shine forth to add greater beauty to the church triumphant. But as we well know, St. Paul tells us quite often that there is the great virtue of love, of charity, that will continue to be exercised today, tomorrow, and yes, even in eternity. Faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Though we will cease to believe and hope in heaven, we will never stop loving the good Lord and one another. But in addition to love, there is another virtue that will continue to be used and exercised every moment in heaven. And that virtue is called humility. We will not only love in heaven, but we will also be humble. For we will see just how wondrous and truly awesome is the good Lord and just how little we are in comparison, we will see how utterly dependent we are upon the Almighty at every moment, and we will fully understand our own limitations. We will see how utterly dependent we are, yes, but love may be the greatest virtue that we practice in eternity, but humility 
will be that foundational virtue that keeps us in our place. Right. In fact, the easiest definition for humility is simply knowing your place before Almighty God and men and taking that place. Knowing your place, taking your place. Being humble is just being truthful, realistic, knowing our lowly position in comparison to the Creator and recognizing again our own limitations. Now we know that Adam was made from the dust of the earth. He didn't have parents. He was made from the dust of the earth, from the slime, from the mud, from the dirt of this world. Adam was made from the humus of the world, of the earth. See, the word humus is Latin for dirt. And from the term humus, of course, we get the word humility. The first virtue, the foundational good habit present at creation in Adam is humility. A humble man knows his origins. He knows where he comes from. He knows his place. We come from dirt, from the humus of this earth. But humility is not just a virtue that recognizes our lowly beginnings. It is also truthful, and it's realistic in knowing that the good Lord has raised us to heights beyond our imaginings. We may come from dirt, but the Almighty has done great things for us, including the fact that He desires all of us to be with Him one day and with the angels in the kingdom above for all eternity. Now, during the month of November, we oftentimes pray for those who have died, for the holy and yes, poor souls in purgatory, using that short yet beautiful prayer, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. Now, it should be noted that we are not asking that an eternal sleep or dormition be given unto them, nor a relaxation that lasts forever. The worldly and carnal view of heaven as a place with lazy boy chairs, free golf, happy hours, and plenty of snooze time is something that is totally unbiblical and utterly unchristian. For us who have played golf any amount of times, we don't want heaven to be that because we know that it's not always a happy game. This perverse notion of heaven being so sensual and carnal is that of the Muslims, the Jehovah Witnesses, and the Mormons with their materialistic, carnal, and fleshy view of things. This is not the sort of rest that we're praying for. Rather, we beseech the good Lord that those who have died might find true rest, that they might finally reach that eternal goal, that final placement where they belong, that they may no longer be in a state of restlessness with cares and concerns, but they might rest in peace. Now in heaven, the blessed are no longer on a journey, for they've arrived home. They possess the object of their loving search. They have finished the race. They have come to the top of the mountain. They rest in victory with no more battles to fight. As I mentioned in the past, St. Pio of Pietrocina bore the stigmata, the physical wounds of Christ for 50 years. From 1918 until 1968, he was a walking crucifix for nearly his entire religious life 
as a Capuchin friar. Every night his nightshirt was a shroud of Turin filled with blood. But once he died, once he had finished the fight, the stigmata, the wounds, disappeared from his body. His wounds did not find their way into his coffin. They were gone. Padre Pius, he had climbed Mount Calvary. He had carried his cross manfully, and now he would ascend Mount Tabor and receive the crown and enter into his own mansion. On today's Holy Gospel, our Lord calms the waters. He calms the waters from all of the buffeting that Peter's boat was taking. Of course, Peter's boat represents so much the Roman Catholic Church, but in a real way, it represents our souls. Each of us is a boat, being troubled by so many waves, so many buffetings of our boat. But Lord, the Lord gives rest to our souls. He calms those waters, not just in heaven, but on earth, if we have an interior life. Our dearest Lord once said, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is within you. God and heaven, in other words, can be found already in the baptized. The seed of eternity is present in that gift we know as sanctifying grace, which is the very seed of eternity. And it is meant to blossom one day into the glory of heaven. The key work of man, Everyone's key work, therefore, is to cultivate the garden of your soul, to cultivate this interior life, because heaven is there. If we truly turn towards the Son of God and Son of Mary with our whole heart, if we cleave to Him and to heavenly things, while turning away from the exterior things of this earth, we can find rest even while still a pilgrim on this earth. The great spiritual classic, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis, states, quote, Learn to despise the exterior things and give thyself to the interior, and thou shalt see the kingdom of God come unto thee, unquote. Growing in the interior life of prayer and seeking greater rest with the good Lord will bring forth good results. Results, in fact, guaranteed by our Lord himself. Quote, if any man love me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and will make our abode with him. In short, God will rest on us now if we but rest in him. Now, many of us are familiar with the story of Mary and Martha and how the first rested at the sacred feet of Christ, while the latter was restless in the kitchen. Mary of Bethany, otherwise known as St. Mary Magdalene, the two are one and the same, was praised by the Son of God for choosing the better part, for she chose to rest with God, to rest in heaven while still on earth, Because heaven was right before her eyes. Christ is heaven. She spent time in contemplation. And as a result, our Lord said, she shall not be deprived of it. The focus on the interior life, seeking rest, 
and contemplation, being fixed on God, is superior to all exterior works. Prayer, the opus dei, the work of God, is better than serving Christ in the poor. Prayer is better than healing Christ in the sick. Prayer is better than instructing his spiritual children in schools. Why is the contemplative life, according to our Lord himself, why is the focus on the interior life superior to exterior activity? Because the way of Mary Magdalene is a more direct approach to the goal that we have, which is God. If God is on the top of the mountain, we want to reach Him, then the contemplative takes a straight path upwards. While the exterior works, even those done in the name of Christ, are a more roundabout and less direct way to the top of the mountain. Remember the sister of Mary Magdalene, namely St. Martha, was never criticized by Christ for being overly hospitable. Rather, she was gently corrected for not having her priorities right. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all else will be provided unto thee. Furthermore, it should be noted that this focus on the interior life, this resting in prayer, this anticipates the life of heaven and eternal rest. Heaven is already in us. In heaven, we will see God face to face. We will see Him as He is. We will possess what we have striven for. But this possession of God can be experienced on earth already by the one who contemplates. But this does not mean that the contemplative disdains human activity. St. Mary Magdalene was not a quietist. The heresy, the error, known as quietism, states that all human activity is bad, it's an enemy of grace. Quietism, the heresy, states that exterior works are the enemy of the interior life. Thus the quietist heretic refrains from acts of penance, from mortification, from fasting. The quietist heretic does not seek to grow in virtue by repeated good behavior in the exterior realm. The quietist heretic is often indifferent to the works of mercy. Noberi of Bethany, also known as St. Mary Magdalene, was ultimately an active contemplative. And this ought to be the model for every Roman Catholic, prayerful and working hard. The higher your prayer life, the more efficient and powerful are your various other activities. If you want to get more done, pray more. The more you pray, the more you'll get done, and the better it will be done. We are so blessed to be Roman Catholic. Muslims don't have an interior life. First of all, because they lack, objectively speaking, the life of sanctifying grace, which is the very root of our resting in God. And secondly, Allah is so utterly transcendent 
always beyond and never condescending to dwell among us, never Emmanuel, never God with us, that there is no true interior life or intimacy with God for the Muslim. You cannot come to know him or possess him either on earth or even in heaven. You're never his friend in Islam. Buddhism and other forms of Eastern paganism also have no real interior life. First, because Buddhism is a philosophy. It's not a religion that binds us lovingly to Almighty God. And secondly, their pseudo-false mysticism is either purely natural or even worse, their mind-emptying practices leave them open to the preternatural influences of the demons. They always love to fill a void. Protestantism also lacks any real interior life since for them sanctifying grace doesn't transform and elevate us, but simply covers man with some sort of legalistic shell. Protestantism therefore rejects the notion of a truly supernatural life where godly souls rest with God in contemplation. If we remain a pile of dung, according to Martin Luther, the founder of that rebellious movement. If we remain a pile of dung, how can we possibly rest with God? That's why services which are Protestant, especially the evangelical or Pentecostal variety, have to keep the body moving, keep the body involved, because they've got to keep excited somehow. In a sense, the traditional Latin Mass, especially the silence of the canon would be foreign to them because it demands an interior life. Finally, the blessed union of the active and the contemplative life consists in being always at rest with God, habitually united to the good Lord by intention and by affection in all your interior and exterior works, being lovingly fixed on Him as our end, to be still and calm amid the distraction and bustle of this world that would usually bring us restlessness. Traditional Catholic spirituality provides us with the means of finding rest with God now, not just in heaven, now. There is never a need to look outside the Catholic Church to find the tools we need to rest with God. There is no need to look outside the Church for any other spirituality. Why is it that for decades now Catholics have looked east to Buddhism to somehow try to find some sort of mystical or spiritual experience? There is no interior life in that system. What do we have? We have Saints Teresa of Jesus, John of the Cross, Catherine of Siena, Thomas of Kempis, one book after another book after another book, equipping us fully with a spiritual patrimony that enriches the Roman Catholic Church beyond imagining.
teachings on prayer and the interior life are traditions. As much as various dogmas and doctrines are part of tradition. Spiritualities, methods of prayer, schools of spirituality, the interior life, spiritual discernment, they've all been handed down to us. They are tradition. Don't look outside the church to find spirituality. There is none there. Just as there is no salvation outside the Roman Catholic Church, there is also no true spirituality outside this same true church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.